Monday, August 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. From Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Monday. It's a new week. It's a brand new week. We have got eBay quietly taking aim at Amazon, and we have a restaurant chain that is taking aim at nightclubs. We will get into that in a few moments. But first... Here's something I haven't said possibly ever in my life. Shares of Best Buy opened the day up more than 20% on the news that company founder Richard Schulz has offered to buy the company outright. Joe Mager, I'll start with you. Um, what does Richard Schulz see in this company that apparently nobody else does? Uh, his legacy. I think when he looks at Best Buy, he sees a business that he built from the ground up. He was the CEO for 26 years. It's his baby, and he has a lot of pride wrapped up in the business. He probably has confidence that he can save it. I don't think he can. Uh, no offense to him, but I just think that this is a business in secular decline. And I think he's probably going into it with the mindset of, if we just get back to basics of what made us successful originally, that will win the day. But those tactics and what they did before are no longer working in retail. And I think he's making a pretty big mistake by even going after this. And Jason, I should mention that while the shares opened up more than 20%, they settled down after that. And by <laughs> by you know <laughs> noon, the shares were, they were still up for the day, still up about 10, 11%. But uh, I think maybe some of that initial excitement sort of wore off. What do you think of this? Yeah, well, I think that's it's very worth noting that we see a headline like this on a Monday morning and the, the reaction can be very very quick to think, oh, wow, this is this is it. Uh, but the headline doesn't imply that this is actually done. It's something that he's wanting to do. I'm not certain that he would be able to raise the money to do this. I think there are a lot of smart people out there who are probably watching everything that's going on with H.H. Craig and Radio Shack, and I'm not certain why they don't think it would also happen at Best Buy. Um, it just seems like they're, they're kind of bringing up the end there. Uh, with that said, I think Joe's got a great point there in, in regard to a legacy. I mean, if you've spent your life building up a tremendous business like this with, with really what is a very nationally well-known brand, uh, even if it is in decline, I, I have to believe there is some pride factor there in wanting to get this thing sort of straightened out. I kind of hear him muttering every cliche in the book to his to his employees. It's not over until the fat lady sings. You know, <laughs> we, we still got a chance. Just put your axe to the grindstone. But I don't know that that's going to really be enough. Yeah, I don't know that they're going to get the financing. <laughs> so doing the math, they need to raise about $6, 7000000000 billion in debt to make this happen. That's a big slug of debt to take on for a company doing um, about $2.5 billion in operating profit. So if they pay about a 7% interest rate on that, <laughs> that means they're going to pay about a quarter of operating profit towards interest, right? So then they got to pay this amount back, $6, $7 billion. You know, leverage buyout deals, you're not going to make a, a loan on this kind of deal that's a 20-year loan. It's going to be a lot shorter in nature, probably like 5 to 10 maybe. And Best Buy is not going to be able to roll over debt like a lot of companies. So you're really asking a lot of a private equity shop to come in and lend these guys money. And I think that's why it's so far below what his offer price is today is Wall Street just looks at this and, and doesn't take it seriously because he's not going to be able to get the money together for it. I mean, I, you'd be a total chump <laughs> to lend these guys money at a five-year, for a five-year rate, a five-year bond at 7%. I want to go back to the private equity in a second, but Jason, first, if you are a Best Buy shareholder, if you've, you know, if as of last week you were a shareholder, right now you see your shares certainly up for the day. Potentially, if the deal goes through, they're going to go up even more because I think the the buyout price that uh, Schultz put out there was somewhere in the neighborhood of like twenty four, twenty five around there. You've got the potential for more gain. On the other hand, 
if the deal falls through, the stock's going to go back down. What do you say to someone who is looking at their shares and thinking, oh, maybe maybe this can go higher or maybe I should just cut and run. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is going to be some money made on this deal if something actually materializes, but the average everyday shareholder is not going to be one of those one of those who actually makes money on this deal. So, I think you have to be looking very closely at this and thinking, man, do, it, this could be a very attractive exit point because you're right. If, if this deal doesn't go through, and, and I think that it's very reasonable reasonable to believe that it won't. I mean, that's a lot of money to get up uh, to get together. I, the stock will tank on that news in a big way, and there is no real short term catalyst or long term trend that is pointing in Best Buy's favor. So I think it's probably worth worth thinking really hard about getting out. <laughs> uh, Joe, when it comes to the private equity, um, one thing that Best Buy does have going for it, I think uh, we can agree on is. They got a guy who's highly motivated. I mean, Richard Schultz. I mean, to, to your point, sure. he's he's he cares about his legacy. He's very motivated. That's sort of working in their favor. On the other hand, if you're if you're a private equity guy, and you have your choice between distressed companies like Best Buy or Research in Motion or Nokia, mm. just of those three, is is Best Buy the best opportunity for you as a private equity person? I, or? I would actually say it's the worst. Uh, Research in Motion would be my favorite there because they've got cash and patents. Uh, Best Buy has tangible book value of about $6, and the stock is currently at 19 so there's not a hard asset backstop here. Like A lot of private equity guys will step into a situation and sell off non-core parts of the business, or they'll raise money by securitizing assets. So A famous one was when, I want to say KKR, but don't hold me to that, came in and acquired Hertz, and they basically monetized, securitized all the cars. And that was just this huge hidden asset sitting on their balance sheet. But in Best Buy's case, you know, I doubt someone's going to swoop in and securitize all the you know, used Blu-ray disc or <laughs> you know, whatever they got on the shelves. And you know, snark aside, it's just there's not that hard asset backstop there. And so I would not be surprised if this fell further and the deal didn't come through. Jason, what do you think? I, well, at least Nokia and RIM, have, they make something that people are buying. I mean, whether it's phones or, or the patents that, that Joe mentioned, Best Buy is selling all of those things. And so I don't really see as a, as a retailer, Best Buy, I think, is just in a real tough position here with, with all the competition out there. I, I just don't see it happening. eBay has launched a new service called eBay Now. It's a same-day delivery service that they are testing in San Francisco. And Joe, kind of interesting because Amazon is widely believed to be preparing their own same-day delivery service yeah. to be rolled out. You're someone who watches eBay closely. What do you think of this? I think it's a great idea. And San Francisco's perfect market. It's kind of home-based territory. It's big. Uh, this is another example of eBay really getting back out there as an innovator in technology and not just being behind the curve as they were for years. And you know, Amazon is testing around this at different points in different countries. And I think you'll see them dabble with it in major cities. But on their latest conference call, you know, even though there's been a lot of buzz about it, Amazon said that the math doesn't make sense for them on a on a broad scale. But it could. They didn't say this, but it could. You know, on a small scale in a in a large city. And I think that's what eBay could be doing in San Francisco. And again, just hats off to them. They've been so aggressive on mobile, on payments, and integrating online and offline commerce. And this is just another step in that direction. Jason, what do you think? Because, I mean, to Joe's point, it really does seem like the type of service that, while interesting and noteworthy, probably has some relatively low ceiling 
on it in terms of where they could roll this out, whether it's eBay or Amazon. It seems like this is something that they could do in a number of big cities. But it's hard for me to think that anywhere rural that something like this is going to work. Yeah, and I think that's just it. I mean, it's it's really a great idea. I think the consumers, no matter what, win from stuff like this. And I love to see whether it's Amazon or or eBay doing this. you know, Amazon is in the process of building out about 18 new distribution centers that cost about $50 million a pop. And so I, while they, on their conference call, were very quick to, to, to say, no, we are not, I mean, this doesn't make sense right now. We, the economics don't really make sense of, of same-day shipping. I don't think they were drawing the line and saying it never would. Yeah. And so you know, another, another very admirable situation here with eBay, they're getting out there and trying this to see how it might be able to work in their model. And so it's it's actually kind of nice, I think, for Amazon to be able to sit back and watch a little bit. You know, and, and I don't think Bezos necessarily needs to learn, um, but I think that by the same token, to be able to watch sort of how this type of thing is rolled out, I'm sure there's some lessons that can be learned uh, on both sides. And really, at the end of the day, I think that we are headed this way anyway. So I would think that you know, in five years, Amazon and eBay are going to both be having this rolled out on a much larger scale than today. If yeah. You- if you are FedEx or UPS, are you at all nervous about this? Or is this the sort of thing where the ceiling is low enough where you think, you know what, this is, this is not a huge part or maybe even uh, you know single-digit percentage part of our business, and we're going to be fine no matter what? I'm not worried about eBay trying this, but if I'm UPS where the U.S. domestic shipping market is a real bread and butter for me, I am starting to get a little bit nervous about the idea of Amazon attempting to do same-day shipping with their own fleet. And on the one hand, you'd say, why would Amazon try and do that? That's not their expertise. And, you know, UPS and FedEx are out there and the Postal Service to some extent, although they lean on other people to get things done. <laughs> uh, you know, they're out there. They have that expertise. Why, why get into such a capital-intensive business? But, you know, maybe Amazon wants to start trying to test something like this in major cities and move upstream a little bit. And maybe they say, well, you know, if UPS and FedEx keep muscling through 3% price increases on us on top of inflation, you know, maybe it does make sense for us to try something and just pilot little projects here and there and kind of keep them honest on pricing. So I think it's a good move for them to to try. I don't know about go full on. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you see companies like Google, companies like Amazon, even eBay to a degree, all of these companies that really depend on innovation and trying new things. These are companies that are very well known for placing a lot of little bets, trying new things. And and I think that we as investors and we as consumers really need to embrace that and love it because that's what makes our lives better. I mean, it's a great time to be alive right now with just all of the technology that's out there. And the reason why it keeps on getting better is because we, we have these companies and these leaders that continue to try new things. Some fail, some succeed, but it's all advancing. We see, we see the evolution of it all right here in front of us. Joe, just to right. bring it back to eBay in terms of you know what Jason was saying, companies placing little bets. I know you look at the business eBay has and all their different divisions very closely. What's the part that gets you the most excited as an investor? Is it the marketplace? Is it PayPal? Or is it stuff like this that has the potential to really diversify their revenue base? If I could own one part of eBay for the next decade, it'd be PayPal. I think that's going to keep growing at 20% plus rates for a long, long time. But I also think the marketplace business has been really underestimated. You know, They had their best growth quarter this past one since 2006, and things have meaningfully turned around there. Like The turnaround has turned, so I think it's pretty exciting, and the market isn't giving much credit to that. Applebee's. 
Yes, Applebee's <laughs> is trying to bring in more customers with Club Applebee's. About 50 locations in Texas and Florida have been offering drink specials, dance music, and karaoke to bring in more people late at night. Jason? What do you think of this? I wonder if you have to wear, like, your members-only jacket to get into <laughs> Club Applebee's. I mean, it's it's branding, I guess, isn't it? I mean, it. Uh, wow. I, it, restaurants are a brutal space. They're really tough. And when you have something like Applebee's that is just the same as a TGI Friday's or Chili's or whatever else it is, yep. I like that they're out there trying to differentiate themselves a little bit and offer maybe something else a little bit different. I thought it was really tough to see them walk that line of being a little bit of everything for everyone. In other words, attracting that late-night crowd, yet we're also a family environment where we encourage families to come have dinner. I don't know that you can really have it both ways. Um, They probably would get a reputation at some point opening up these late-night club sort of atmospheres that, that would... I think, steer people away, and I don't think it's really their strength, so I'm a little bit skeptical of it. Uh, I should point out that while Applebee's itself is not publicly traded, it is part of Dine Equity, uh, which is the parent company that owns Applebee's and IHOPs. Uh, Joe, Dine Equity is publicly traded. Um, I hear what Jason's saying. On the other hand, uh, all kidding On aside, the other hand, you so want us to go to karaoke <laughs> at Applebee's. I wasn't going to say that, but now that you mention it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, in all honesty, I look at the Whole Foods just down the street from full global headquarters, and we're there several times every week going to get lunch or whatever. And I look at what Whole Foods is doing where they are literally building a bar inside the Whole Foods. And on Wednesdays, they've got wine stations set up all around. And the larger point, I think, is that Whole Foods is basically looking at their space and saying, what else can we do? What more can we do here? And I think on some level, you got to give Applebee's credit for trying yeah. something like this. I actually really like it. I mean, to Jason's point, it's a tough business and you have to stand out. And another way of thinking of that with them is, well, what do we have to lose here? Right. You know, rent is your biggest expense when you're a restaurant. It's a huge fixed cost, and it's another way to keep the lights on longer and keep more people flowing through. And, you know, the biggest profit center for restaurants is booze. And so when you can get people in there at night, you have fewer servers on hand and you're selling a lot of high margin drinks. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Try and, I mean, it at least. I, and I definitely don't blame them for trying this because it, it, at the core of it all, I mean, after nine o'clock, it's it's not like they're really attracting too many, too many people for dinner. So then they have to figure, okay, either we're going to be more or less closing up shop here at nine o'clock, or we need to do something to keep things going to keep that party going for another few hours. And, and yeah, definitely spirits, a tremendous a tremendous market. There, lots of money to be made. We know that spirits continue to gain share on on beer and wine. I, I don't blame them for trying this. I just am very skeptical that it will succeed. I like the fact that they created a separate website. So you can go to Applebee's.com and find whatever your local Applebee's is. They didn't intend for this to be any sort of national thing. It just sort of started in Texas and Florida. And now you can go to ClubApplebee's.com. I went there right before we got in the studio. Very different-looking website. So it seems like the sort of thing that, who knows, there may be a Club Applebee's coming to your Applebee's sometime soon. Applebee's I think we should hours. commit to going to one if we discover there is a local we one. We should definitely give it some market research. I'm willing to take that hit. You're willing to sit and drink alcohol and watch Joe do karaoke? I'm just putting myself out there, <laughs> I'll Chris. bring some I mean, glow sticks. Uh, just to bring it back to <laughs> Dying Equity, as I mentioned, they own IHOP as well. You got a breakfast place. You got a. We talk about you know burgers from time to time. What is your go-to? Like I'm going to treat myself. This is the breakfast place I want to go to. 
There's a place right up at the front of our neighborhood called Angie's Restaurant that is just tremendous Greek and Italian food. But if you if you go there enough, you'll also realize that they have just an unbelievable breakfast. You can even get grits there, Chris, which to me is just huge. Wow. And so I'm going with Angie's Restaurant. It's just a big winner. Joe? Vermilion in Old Town in Alexandria. It's very close to Full HQ. It's where the president took his lady. Oh, for uh, Valentine's for Day. Valentine's Day. So yep. you can imagine it's pretty good. Fantastic brunch. Really? Oh, so good. I'm going with Table Talk, which is actually mm-hmm. right, right, just about right across the street from Whole Foods, right near the office. But that's that is just like the classic diner. That's a good one. That usually a, good a line one. out the door, that kind of thing. As long as it's got bacon, I'm really good no matter what. Exactly. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Give us your favorite breakfast place. Let us know because, you know what, we travel from time to time. We're always looking for a good breakfast place. Joe Mager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.